Hello, and welcome back to the Moment of Truth podcast. I am your host, Junior Mint, and this is the show where I invite you to take a moment and reflect and be proud of how far that we have come as individuals and as a community, but also honest about where we still have to go in our growth as supporters and protectors of Black trans power. Through personal testimony and honest conversation with community leaders, we will recognize the power we all have lurking within ourselves to not only impact our own lives in a positive way, but also keep pushing Black trans power forward. So this is episode five, and I am so excited to announce that our guest this week is the one and only Mohawk. If you do not know Mohawk, you're going to get an amazing opportunity to get to know them from our sit-down conversation. I have known them for, I think, about a year, maybe a year and a half now. I think that I met them through Juniper Juicy or through In Living Color. I can't remember which one, but that's how I met them. And I met them through Nightlife. And when I tell you, like, their energy was just radiant and so kind. And they always hold such a beautiful space for others, while at the same time making sure to elevate and promote Black trans power and Black trans people, especially as they are a Black trans individual. And so... I'm so excited for you all to get to listen to the conversation that we had. But before then, of course, we as protectors of our own energy and of our own happiness are going to begin every episode off, as you probably know by now, because we're at episode five, with our amazing positive affirmation. So if you don't know if this is your first episode listening... I have written out some affirmations that are going to reinforce the positive energy that we are going to be taking into today, into the rest of our lives, into every single facet of our lives. Because people often say words are so powerful, the pen is mightier than the sword, all of these different idioms to basically just say that words are powerful and people really see the power in words but they very rarely actually use them for good in their own life and so what we're going to do is we're going to say these affirmations like we mean them we're going to say these affirmations because they can change your life if you believe in the power of words believe in these words enough to know that they have the power to impact and change your life okay so let's Get it together and let's close our eyes. Take a deep breath in through your nose and exhale out through your mouth. Don't rush it. Just breathe. Notice your breathing. Notice the pace of your breathing. And repeat after me. I can accomplish all things and nothing is outside of my abilities to accomplish. I am powerful and I am in control of my life and I can make my life into whatever I want it to be. With time, patience, and self-love, I will accomplish everything I truly want at my own pace. I will not compare my growth to others. I will use my own happiness as my benchmark. I alone am enough. Let's repeat that. I alone am enough. 
Now make sure that you take those words with you wherever you go. Keep those words in mind. Replay them if you need it. Because sometimes we need to be reminded of our strength. Sometimes we need to be reminded of all of the things that we can accomplish and all of the pieces of ourselves that we don't necessarily acknowledge all the time. We need to be in full awareness of ourselves and consistently checking in. And sometimes we need a reminder to check in. We need a reminder of how beautiful and resilient we are. We need a reminder of these things. And you can do these affirmations at any time. You can Google and there are a bunch of affirmations online. You can come up with your own affirmations. All I can do is recommend to you that you continue to say all of the things that you want for your life and all of the different things you're working on in your life out loud and remind yourself of your ability to accomplish all of the goals and everything you want in your life. You can achieve every single thing that you want. It's just that sometimes the world will make you forget about your ability to do it because of all of the monotony, all of the bureaucracy, all of the everything going on in life. So take a moment and remind yourself that you can do it. You can make it. And honestly, sometimes when you take the moment and step back and remind yourself, you really have a moment where you really realize you didn't check in with yourself for months or weeks or when, however long. Just make sure that you are checking in with yourself and reminding yourself of your beauty and your power, okay? However you need to do that, okay? If you need to replay me saying it to you, I will do it on repeat, okay? That's why the podcast has a rewind button. So even if you can't muster the words to say to yourself, you can replay me saying them to you because I believe it about you. If I can pull myself out of the depths of my depression, I believe the same is possible for you and yours or whatever you're going through, anxiety, depression, whatever it may be. So just know I'm sending you love. I'm sending you power and I'm sending you energy. And I'm also sending you this transition because we are transitioning into our next segment. I don't know how to transition into it, but we're doing it together. So consider the sliding into the next segment's DMs because, you know, it's time for that good, good rose and thorn. So again, if this is your first time listening, I always love to do a rose and thorn, which is just a check in with me and you all about how my week was to remind you all to make sure that you were checking in with yourself and as well to let you all know that it's okay to sit down and have a conversation with yourself about how your week was. It's okay to sit down and say to yourself like, damn, this was a rough ass week. And these were the rough points. It was a great ass week. These were the great points. And actually just allowing the week to be what it is, just allowing the week to exist, allowing yourself to process it and making sure that you were actually processing it. Because if you leave everything unprocessed in your life, you are literally just not getting to know your own self. Because when you're not processing your day, you are literally not processing your own experiences. You're not processing your life. And so it is so important to sit down and truly see how your day, your week has affected you and how you are changing as a person as life is changing. All of the things that you can't control in your life, they are still changing who you are as a person. And it's up to you to check in with yourself to see how those things are affecting you. Is life causing you to fall deeper into your depression and your anxiety ask yourself those questions so that way you can then think to yourself okay so i need to then either find the tools or use the tools i already have to help make sure i'm not going deeper into my depression and my anxiety and i keep saying depression and anxiety because that's what i battle on the regs and i'm just so thankful that i'm at a position now where 
I can process it with an optimistic lens to it, you know? And that's part of the thing about mental illnesses. You never know, honestly, how you're going to feel when you reflect upon like your experiences with your mental illness. And so I'm just happy that I've gone through a very pessimistic view of it and I'm really approaching an optimistic one and it makes me happy. So let's get into this rose and thorn. I think I've done enough of an intro for it. My rose this week is white people getting held accountable because it makes me very, very happy to see that the white people who have rioted at the Capitol building are actually getting held accountable, actually being labeled domestic terrorists. And it makes me very, very happy to see that for one of the few times in my life, I'm seeing white people actually being labeled what they actually are, which is domestic terrorists. But at the same time, that goes hand in hand with what my thorn is, as per usual. (laughs) And my thorn is the fact that it took privileged people being attacked in order for us to actually get white people to be held accountable. Because for me, the time to hold these white people accountable was every single instance of domestic terror that they inflicted upon black people. Because Congress did not decide to call these people domestic terrorists when they lynched Emmett Till. They didn't decide to label them domestic terrorists after the 16th Street Church bombing in 1963 when four black girls were killed. They didn't decide to label the cops domestic terrorists that broke into Breonna Taylor's house with a no-knock motherfucking warrant and murdered her. The moment that they decided to call these violent, ignorant white people domestic terrorists was when they ransacked a bunch of millionaires' offices. When rich privileged people's lives were put at risk. That's when these people were labeled domestic terrorists, but not at all when they were terrorizing black neighborhoods, because literally the image of angry white people with guns is what every single black person grows up fearing, because that is the last images that so many black people have seen for centuries of their lives. And when you think about the fact that these people who rioted at the Capitol building will be spending years and years of their lives in prison, while the woman who lied about Emmett Till and got him lynched is still walking around on this earth free. So for me, I am extremely happy that white people are being held accountable for their actions and for the lives that they put in danger. But what I need and what will make me actually happy is for them to not only continue to have that level of scrutiny and accountability for white people, but I also need them to go back and hold the white people who have damaged and ruined black lives, black communities and black neighborhoods for centuries to be held accountable. That's what I'm going to need, because if you're going to say that the actions of these white people is domestic terrorism, well, let's look back at all the other accounts of domestic terrorism towards black and brown people within this country that has gone under the radar, mislabeled, and the bitches who still have motherfucking statues in different towns and counties in this motherfucking country when they have done nothing but degrade and tear down black communities. So for me, that's what I'm going to need. I'm going to need that on top of every other motherfucking white person in the future being held accountable for their actions. Because as of right now, it just seems to me that the only time that white people are held accountable is when some rich person's property is put at risk. Because to be honest, the Capitol building doesn't represent free for me. 
That building represents enslavement. That building represents so many things because that building, my enslaved ancestors built it. That's where the 13th Amendment was ratified, which gave us our freedom while not really granting us our freedom, only just switching slavery over to a peonage system and actually creating the prison industrial complex. That building is where my people have been enslaved, have been called super predators, have been called welfare queens, have been called every name in the book. And so for me, that building does not represent freedom. It represents ignorant, racist white people making ignorant decisions about my life that negatively affect it. So when I think about that day, I think that there were two groups of ignorant, racist white people there. I think there were the ones that stormed the building and there were the ones that are elected to be there. And if you don't believe me, there is a reason why the police officers there were taking selfies with the protesters and as well on top of it, helping to guide them through the building. Okay, because they what are just as racist as the people who were already working there. And it was difficult for me to watch everything unfold in the building because my family lives in D.C. And so seeing anything going on there is always anxious and anxiety ridden for me because I just instinctually worry about my family living there. And if something happens... I would be devastated. And so I have seen D.C. in all of its full beauty and all of its grandeur and all of its horribleness. And if you don't know about D.C., D.C. doesn't really run its own budget because they're not an actual state. Congress actually operates and runs the budget of the city of D.C. So basically, the people who live in D.C. don't even really get to control any of its money. The people who live in all of these 50 other states get to determine what happens in this place that, honestly, most of them don't live in. If you know anything about like the most wealthy counties in the country, the two wealthiest counties, like even above New York City, are the two outside of D.C., Loudoun County and Fairfax, because those two counties are where most of the Congress people choose to live, which is also why if you look on any of those Forbes high school lists, they have like two or three of the top high schools in the country of like schools to send your kids because guess whose kids are going to those schools? The Congress people's. And so basically, I had to end up lying about my address to go to school in Maryland because D.C. has no good public education system. And mind you, these are the people who you're electing to take care of your neighborhoods And if they're not taking care of the nation's capital, you can definitely assume they're not caring about your neighborhood because it's not even as if they live there anymore. They live in D.C. They like work in this town where they don't even really care about what's going on with its budget. So that is my experience with like living in D.C. Like the city as like the people freaking amazing. D.C. is one of the kindest, most beautiful, best food, all of those things, except when you try to go and live there as just a person, the city itself is very segregated. You'll find that like most brown and black people are being bought out of their own neighborhoods because of gentrification. And then on top of it, the worst part about it is you'll find that like in D.C. there's like eight or nine different police varieties because there's the dc police there's the maryland police there's the virginia police there's the capitol hill police there's all the government agencies there's secret service there's the metropolitan police there's the um transit police there's so many different polices there as well that they can basically turn the well of course it's the nation's capital so the whole thing is already a police state but it's even more police state because there's so many different groupings of police that like you just always feel policed. And it's one of those things that living in D.C., you have a very different interpretation of the government because 
you literally get to live in the city where the government is headed. So that city is truly a huge representation of what the government's mission is. And the reason that I say all of this is because I want you to know your voice is important. Your voice can make a difference. Your voice has impact. And so remember that your voice has the ability to make so much change to this country, to this world, to your community. You have the ability to fight and to actually have your voice be heard to changing this government into one that actually cares about the people, to one that actually cares about enriching communities, that actually cares cares about righting the wrongs that this country has done to so many black and brown people for centuries. And so as you think about what you are carrying forward into the future, what you are carrying forward into your own personal future and the future of your community, I want you to truly think about your impact and the impact that you can have and just make sure that you are doing yourself proud with living up to the gift and the power that you have been bestowed by just being alive today. Because just by being blessed enough to walk the earth today to listen to this message, you are powerful and you have the ability to go out and create some positive impact in somebody's life that this country and this government is not. Because people help people. Businesses do not help people. Communities help people. Wall Street doesn't help people, okay? So just remember, you are so freaking powerful. You are so freaking strong, and you have the ability to make somebody's day in life better. And I'm so freaking excited because I just gave y'all a great transition because the person who I am interviewing today, Mohawk, is the exemplification of all of those things, is the exemplification of someone who is consistently bettering themselves and bettering their community in the process. I am so thankful and honored to know this person because they are someone who I know I can always turn to in a pinch or if I need something, and I'm so honored to be able to have them in my circle of friends. So without further ado, you all, get ready to meet the incomparable, the amazing, the talented Mohawk. I am just beyond happy to even get to sit down with you, Mohawk, and get to talk. You are a person who I have seen hold such amazing space and as well be such an amazing person, but I know very little facts about you. Like, you know what I mean? (laughs) When I think about Mohawk, I think of you as kind of like an angel. Like you're an angel who is always there and always providing protection and love and support. But at the same time, it's like, but where do they go and what do they do in their off time? Like, I know you're a bodybuilder. I don't even know what branch of science you're in, but it's... (laughs) Technically, computer science is more or less (laughs) my my career. And we could talk about that a little bit. You know, we could definitely dive into some of that, how how I got to be the person that you know and that, you know, a lot of our community knows. It was a, a very interesting journey. It's still, I'm still on that journey, you know. It's all unfolding. Well, let's start with the beginning. Where are you from? I'm originally from Nashville, Tennessee, born and raised. (laughs) Nashville? So the only thing that I really know about Nashville is like country music, amazing barbecue, and um, yeah, I think that's about it, actually. Those are the two things I know. That's basically it. Like country music and uh, apparently fried chicken is becoming like a big thing in Nashville. I mean, I don't know. 
maybe that goes hand in hand with some of the barbecue. <laughs> um, we, we had this really famous uh, like restaurant called Loveless Cafe, which I used to work at. And it, there was like Loveless? this iconic, yeah, Loveless. And it was like, it was like this restaurant that was attached to this like little motel thing, I think at some point in history. Mm-hmm. But like there was this, there's this big, lovely black lady who made all the, like all the jam recipes and stuff. And so she was like really, I guess, really famous for that. Like her recipes wow. like made the restaurant. Her, her name was like Miss Faye. Like she was, she was very lovely. That's like, like if you think of a if you think of like a southern black lady like the sweetest southern black lady you can think of like that was basically her and she she was responsible for all those delicious recipes i hope that even though she's passed you know a few years ago that uh they're still using those recipes real and oh carol Fay was her name and uh you know being the That's only black know. person working there in the warehouses and like packaging everything up like she would always <laughs> she would always say hi to me <laughs> oh she noticed an icon icons acknowledge icons <laughs> my favorite thing about the south is that so much of the tradition is consistently passed down through like not only auditory language, but as well, like, culture in terms of, like, the food and everything. What was it like growing up there in, like, honestly, like, the 90s in, like, Nashville? (laughs) The the 90s, yeah. Just, like, the way you said that, though, made it sound like that was so long ago, which it kind of was, you know, like, (laughs) like, all right, you know. Like asking <laughs> your grandparents, grandparents, like, like, what was it like in the nineties? <laughs> you gotta admit that is the nineties. I just feel it like was a time. The cell phones shifted. We were we were digital natives. Like you had to go places to meet other black people. You had to like you had to go. Yeah, you had to. It was a. It was definitely a time because this was like on the cusp of like you know the dot-com boom and all of that and, like, having all this technology to connect with people, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I remember, like, trashing all my computers with viruses from Napster, you know? Like, that was... Those were, like, technologies that really defined how we, like, kind of interact and do things now. And... Um, but, yeah, like, growing up in the South in the 90s, especially in Nashville, because, like, anyone who visits Nashville now, like, is going to get a completely different impression of the place. You know, like it's gentrifying like everywhere. I don't know. I don't know how you could gentrify a place that's already predominantly white. <laughs> that's that's why people's innovation, they find new ways to colonize. They find right. new ways. They just colonize the space, like the empty space between like all the other space. That's all they did. Like they're just like cramming more shit in there. Cause I used to go to a, my middle school used to be on this like plot of land and it was like there were sort of these like low income apartments near it and like nothing else, like just fields. And now okay. it's just like restaurants, hotels, grocery, like bougie groceries, all these apartment complexes. Like, and the same, I was like, I remember there were shootings at the school down mm-hmm. the block during like lunchtime. And now yes. there's like, like a nice pizza restaurant. I'm like, what the hell? Like, what happened over here? A soul cycle. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah, I remember there, like, there was bomb scares and all sorts of other weird shit going on at all the schools I was in. And now there's, like, establishments where I just, like, 
what do they do? Like, do they not have to deal with what I had to deal with when I used to like be in these areas growing up? It's so weird, you know? So like hearing people like who are like from places like New York City wanting to move to Nashville, I'm like, why? You know, because I still think of it as the place I grew up in where there's like, if you're a musician, like if you're not doing country music, no one's really going to know who you are. You know, there wasn't really a, a broader music scene like there is now. You know, there was no tech mm-hmm. culture. There was, I, if I wanted mm-hmm. to go see a concert, you know, someone like, you know, famous enough to be like selling out a concert, I had to go to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I had to like drive three hours out of Nashville because they weren't coming through Nashville. So that was as close as you could get to like, you know, seeing. I, I, I honestly like couldn't name many artists because I was always into a lot of underground music, but for me, mm-hmm. someone like Paul Oakenfold, who was like a really big trance, you know, DJ and producer at the time, mm-hmm. like seeing someone like that was like, you probably got to go to Atlanta. Um, wow. <laughs> you know, like Marilyn Manson, I saw him in Atlanta when I was like listening to that back then. There was no, there was no, there's not a lot of music that was coming through Nashville. Occasionally, you know, occasionally, but not not much. Not compared to now, definitely. In Nashville, is that where you started to get into raves and all, like in all of the party scene, or was that like after you left? No, it was actually it was there um, because you know, growing up in the '90s, the '90s was rave scenes in Nashville. It was so underground. It'd be like 30 people there. It was great. Because <laughs> you knew, like, I miss that shit now. <laughs> now it's like 100,000 people and are all like, they don't even, they don't even dance sometimes. They're just, I'm just like, damn. They're not even there for it. No, they're not. They're just, you know, <laughs> because it's a, it's a spectacle. They just want to be part of the spectacle, but they, you know, mm. the intimacy that I grew up with around the rave culture, it being like very small. Most of it was like break dancers. And that's like how I got into dancing was like the people who came out to those events were like hardcore into dancing, whether they had a liquid style or they popped or they did locking or they were breakers or whatever. They would all show up to these events because like rave music in the late nineties and like early to mid two thousands were break beats like that. You know, when we hear like fat boy slim or like the prodigy or the chemical brothers and all those names, those were like kind of just like a, a electronic music version of break beats. It was, you know, like the, the, the chemical brothers were like one of my favorites and I did actually get to see them. And, like, they would come through Nashville, but they would, like, be in these weird, like, warehouse spaces. I, You know, I wasn't old enough to technically be there. (laughs) You know, like, it would just be these weird places that, like, I don't know, divey whatever venues. Occasionally, if it was somewhere, quote-unquote, nice, it was the gay bar because I guess they figure... Oh, we just put the the dance music at the gay club, and that's where people are going to go dance to this. You know, that was like the biggest space you could get was if you put the electronic music DJs in the gay clubs. <laughs> now, there's... how many gay clubs were there? Because because I'm like, in oh, the there's 90- still at like the same three. 
<laughs> it's still oh. like the same three. I mean, like, oh, wow. maybe there's more. I don't know. Maybe there's more. But, like, the same three that I know about are still there across the street from the hustler. <laughs> of course. You're giving, that's giving like this... P-Valley vibes. <laughs> There's like this one street, and it's funny because I'm pretty sure it was called Church Street. (laughs) (laughs) There's actually this hilarious sign, and I didn't even notice this growing up, but I had some (laughs) friends visiting there from college one year, and they (laughs) noticed it, and they they couldn't wait to tell me about these signs they saw, and I'm like, what are you talking about? Until one day I I passed it, I was like, oh, wow, this has been here all of my life. And I didn't see it. But basically, they had passed by these two signs that were like, they were street signs that were intersection. And one said Gay Street and the other said Church Street. And I'm just like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> like, I know there's a Gay Street and I know there's a Church Street, but I didn't know they intersected until I saw the signs. And I was like, wow, I didn't. <laughs> that is probably, that is the biggest political statement that has probably been around forever. I'm obsessed in my head. I'm I'm just like I'm imagining like being in Tennessee in Nashville in the nineties and like being at a rave in a warehouse with like thirty other like people like just just going at it. Just like having the best fucking time dancing. And I'm just like that it makes so much sense as to like your the free energy that you carry with yourself so much today. Because when I think about what I did as a kid, I was like I was just too nervous to like do anything or break any rules. I was just always where I was supposed to be at. And I'm like, you- <laughs> Oh, I was supposed to be somewhere else. Usually. <laughs> I just was really good at telling my parents what they needed to hear. <laughs> oh, you better work. You see, you, are you an only child? No, I had an older brother, but he was way older. And that's part of like why I had some of the interests I had because he was six years older than me. And so like, I'm the little kid looking up to him, like, I want to be just like him, you know? It's kind of, like, my brother was into the electronic music. He's into a lot of things, but he was into some of that. And, you know, a lot of his music taste I kind of inherited. Um, Some of his hobbies I sort of inherited. But me and my brother weren't super close until we we got older. But, like, still, like, we all, you know, if we had, if we're the younger out of, like, other siblings, you know, we all probably looked up to one of the older ones, and they had like no real reason for it other than they were just older, you know. But yeah. now that yeah. now that we're both adults, we kind of see that there was actually we actually have a lot in common, and like didn't really pick up on any of that as a kid. I was just kind of like, oh, he's so cool because he's six years older than me. <laughs> oh, that's so. That, I I feel that way about my oldest brother. He was just like he was very quiet, but was always protective. And I always think about how like that's a thing that I always try to carry with me is like making sure that people around me feel like there's a person who's looking out for them. I have two older brothers too, four and five years older than me. Mm. And so like whenever I think about them, I'm like, yeah, I did. I did take so many traits from both of you, and so many different like hobbies that I have and ways of looking at the world. I'm like, oh, I definitely got that from one of you. Wow. Oh yeah, I, my brother, my sense, my brother's sense of style. Like, I don't look like him now in the way that I dress, but like, what my brother was doing in his aesthetic, like with his aesthetic for a long time, like, was just so different than anybody else. 
you know, that I yes. I would always be trying to like take shit out of his closet. Like he was with he's like six <laughs> one. Like he is with we have nowhere near the same body, like the frame. <laughs> I used to, but I still thought I was hot shit because my brother had like starter jackets and stuff. Like that was the <gasps> shit that you would get stabbed jacket. for over in the nineties. <laughs> so I was like, I'm, I'm trying to be fucking hot shit with my Tommy Hilfiger and my my starter jackets, and I would steal that shit out of my brother's closet. That shit did not fit. I would just have the belt like <laughs> all the way yes. tight. You know, yes. I, but my parents wouldn't let me go to school and like that. So I'd pack it into my backpack and change and I got to school. Like, <laughs> and then I change that before I get picked the, up. <laughs> that, is, that is the cool, like that, that type of stuff is stuff that I'm like, I wish I had the nerve to do it growing up because literally. Uh, I had to I get away with it. it. Like, I had to, like, I just wanted to be able to express myself and. My parents were always shutting me down because I would I'd be like, can I get the Power Rangers shoes? And they'd be like, no, that's for boys or no, that's too violent. You know, you they, like they would make weird excuses. I'm like, but the boys are wearing Power Rangers school shoes in school. Like they're not getting expelled for like having like superheroes on their clothing. Like, you know, I know that y'all want me to like be girly or whatever, but like... <laughs> I, I was just like, well, I'm going to, right. I just started being rebellious about it. So, I, I mean, I didn't look good. Like, let me, I mean, let me not kid myself here. I, I, I still have photos. <laughs> I look like I shit. Think, I think everybody looks great as long as you have confidence. Exactly. I had the confidence because I look back now like, damn, why did none of my friends say anything about how baggy my clothes were, how much it didn't match, it didn't fit, like nothing. Like it was, Obsessed. it was pretty bad. <laughs> and I had a matching pair of sketches for like nearly every color combination. A matching pair of sketchers? You remember when sketches was the same shoe over and over, but like it had different colors oh, and like it, copy and paste, copy and paste. I had so many pairs of sketches. Yeah, sketches and Tims. I actually had a bunch of different colored Tims before I even knew about New York culture. <laughs> They're still sitting at home. The one accessory that will never go out of date is a pair of Timberland boots. When I think about it, I wouldn't mind being buried in some Tims. Like, especially <laughs> if you give me the heel Tims, like the heels oh, ones. Yeah. I'm like, I saw Mariah Carey rock a pair, and then I saw Charlene Incarnate rock a pair, and I was like, okay, this is only a shoe for bad bitches. This is only a shoe for bad bitches. <laughs> yeah, when they dig you up and the Tims are the only thing they haven't decomposed, like, they'd be like, ooh, this was a bad bitch in this casket. <laughs> That's called longevity. That is called longevity. Oh, my God. What college did you go to? I went to Ohio University, which is in Athens, Ohio. It's like this tiny little town in southeast, uh, southeast Ohio. Really really big party culture there um so like for most people who have heard of ohio university they were probably they're probably aware of how it was like literally the number two party school in the nation when i was when i was attending there <laughs> or they'd be like, oh i went number two i think i forget who was number one i want to say it was like i want to say it was like some school in michigan or or <laughs> like some other small town where it's just like people who are bored, you know. <laughs> you have nowhere else to be. There's nowhere else to, to to be entertained. You just do everything on campus in your area. Such an isolated little town that if you didn't have like a car or something to get in and out, like 
You just got to make the best of, you know. Wow. You just got to make the best of the situation. Throughout this time, are you hanging out with queer people too? Because in the 90s, I have I have no context of like what queer circles of friends looked like in the 90s, you know? So <laughs> it was, let me tell you, it was a struggle. They They existed. Uh, they were they were there. <laughs> there was a there was a gay straight alliance in my high school. Um, but also, like, let me preface it with this: I went to a pretty progressive middle school and high school because I had I actually excelled academically, so I got into the magnet schools in my city. So mm. I got to go to schools where it was like basically like probably a solid 50% or more some sort of like non-white demographic. So there were lots of different cultures there because, you know, you're basically taking the most academically like proficient students and putting them all into the same like two or three schools. So like my middle school and my high school were both like fairly progressive for being uh, in Tennessee in the South, like the South has a pretty horrible school system all around, you know, uh, mm-hmm. actually, I think I looked this up actually recently because I was curious because honestly, when I got to college, I was confused. I, I was, I did not, let me tell you, I excelled, but I did not apply myself. So when I got to college, I was confused why people seemed really dumb to me because <laughs> like it was just a regular ass state college. Like there wasn't no kind of like special <laughs> academic program. Basically, if you like completed high school, you could go to that college. <laughs> you know, so You're like, like this is easy. I'm just like, how do people not know? Like I was in my like a journalism 101 type class, like relearning things about like the subject of a sentence and like. You know, like yes. different like gram- grammatical structure, like stuff that I learned in like second grade, and mm-hmm. people were struggling, and I was like, "What's going on here?" Like, Same. I know I did pretty good in school, but I really, I was like, I would be doing my shit like in the in the period before you go to your main classes, like on lunch, I'd let all the everybody copy my work, and I'd copy some yes. of their work, and we were just like bullshitting. So I didn't really think yes. I was like smarter than anybody else so I was like why is this easy for me and other people are struggling so like I looked up you know people try to treat me like I'm stupid sometimes like I know I look crazy mm-hmm. I know I like have done a lot of drugs and stuff but I'm not fucking dumb like uh-huh. I might <laughs> not be able to remember place. why I walked into the room like two seconds after I walked in there but I'm not actually stupid <laughs> I just have ADHD. I will literally forget my own name when filling out forms. But I'm not. I'd be like, age? Wait, what year was I born again? Birthday? Let me get out my birth certificate again. Text text somebody. How old am I? Yeah, let me text my mom. Like, mom, Uh, when was I born again? Oh, Oh, my God. When I tell you, it took me like two hours to get to school every morning. And so, like, I would literally be getting my work done in that time. And it would be like, it would be the easiest work. Because I was like, if you read the, if you literally look at the highlighted words of this book, like literally it gives you the, like. They give you the chapters. Like you just had to open the book. You just had to like do the bare minimum most of the time. Hashtag skim. Hashtag skim. (laughs) Right. You know what? I hate reading and people don't understand that. I, like I guess because I I I well I I selectively enjoy certain types of reading because I cannot read a book like I really cannot read a book like you know like people love Harry Potter and all that. I cannot read any of that but give me like an academic journal academic journal that's like scientific research like something I'm really curious about 
I'll be sitting there figuring out, all right, let me, here's the, like, you know, all this, this, like, scientific jargon. I just go Googling some of the words so I can, like, put the pieces together. But give me, like, you know, like, to give me one of them books that we have to read, like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, A Raisin in the Sun. I did not want to read that shit. I did not. When they handed (laughs) us Julius Caesar, I was like, but can't we... (laughs) Well, at my time, I was like, can't we just Google this? Like, don't we know? Can't we Google... I wish. Google was not good enough back then. It was still... You wouldn't. You weren't gonna find enough information. Like sometimes you get by, but there was no Wikipedia. See, there was no Cliff Notes. Really, Google. it was really hard to find some of those books and stuff online. I'm so thankful for the time I went to high school because it literally. I know y'all got lucky. You could Google <laughs> questions off of like the study guide, and there's this website called Quizlet that would literally have the exact same study guide that all the teachers. I remember that shit in college, like, <laughs> y'all. It was a little bit more difficult in college, though. But yeah, I remember like that website popping and up. And I remember they just created a whole website where you had to submit your pa- turn it in dot com. You had to turn in your papers, <laughs> and search throughout your paper for plagiarism on the internet. Oh, figured out. I started. I started hearing about that. Like I was already beyond those types of like history one hundred and one and whatever type classes at that point. When that, when that site started popping up and like becoming popular, I was already having, I was, I, like I said, I was doing computer science stuff. I was a programmer. I wish I had Stack Overflow back in college. And there's like 900 different boot camps now where you can learn how to, you know, there's like YouTube tutorials, yes. like you got Udemy, you got <laughs> Coursera. There's all these like websites where you can just go look, someone have a whole video that explains it to mm-hmm. you. You know, or you could just see that's a whole forum of people discussing different answers. I didn't have that back then. I actually had to learn how to code before I could just go and not, I can go copy and paste everything now. Like back then I had to learn how to code. I would cry over my homework. I'm like, I don't get this. <laughs> no one no one was talking about Java on the internet back then. I've tried all the boot camps. I've tried all of the academies to learn how to code and I'm like all the academies it really is a lot of academies zero exaggeration (laughs) full stack academy code academy Mm -hmm. you know like there's a bunch yeah there's a bunch of those and i used to actually work for Flatiron school like i wrote the curriculum so if y'all are out there thinking about going through the web development curriculum you'll probably see my name on some of those on some of those uh lessons it's my dead name but you'll probably know it's still me because (laughs) i had to rewrite i had to rewrite a lot of the curriculum um so one thing you can do is just go teach other people how to do it uh that's where i got after about 10 years of my career and being sick of being the person Mm -hmm. building all the apps this is why we need more black trans people in computer science because i'm like we need more so because i i hate that i hate work i hate the work mm. environment it's just it's nobody that looks like me and nobody that like lives like me you know it's it was weird one of my jobs like it's one thing to be a diversity hire you know like oh we need more non-male non-white mm-hmm. people in these like senior roles and this and that but like i got like I got, well, I won't say I got hired onto the job, but apparently, like, something that interested them is what I did all this work with, like, you know, drug mm-hmm. policy and, like, drug harm reduction and stuff. I put that on my applications because, you know, like, it's a big part yes. of my life. 
it's like I have a nonprofit, like I do a lot of work. Yes. So I do a lot, a lot of work with that. So it's important that I have people know that about me. And if it's for any reason, like going to be like a, a, a um, deal breaker, then fuck y'all. <laughs> like I have, I have piercings and a mohawk and tattoos visible. Mm-hmm. If, if the whole drug thing for you is like, okay, now this was like, look, we, we're going to, we're going to look by, past the appearance. This is the you line. Know? We found the line. But like, we can't openly admit that we all use drugs. How? Like, no, we're not. If that's, However, can we continue to work together? <laughs> but yes, but like I had that on my resume that I worked with, you know, that I did a lot of work with that safe and all this stuff. And they're kind of like, we have a it was like we have people with drug issues here and it would be really good to have someone on board who understands this stuff. And I'm just like, I'm not getting paid to be someone's like, you know, like sobriety like counselor. You know, I'm not here to be like people coming in to check in with you. <laughs> right. Hey, I need to talk about my addiction with you. I'm the person I'm I'm just building these damn apps with these people. If they got a pro if they got a substance abuse problem, like Maybe you should just make sure that it's included in our like company insurance plan that they can get therapy or something because <laughs> I can't. It's even worse if your employer is going around being like, "Yeah, we know there's a lot of people with drug problems here, and we're not going <laughs> to offer you anything except for this other now black trans employee to talk to about it." Like what? <laughs> whose who's primary role is not even to be some oh. sort of like HR or counselor or anything. I'm literally stressed out as as much as everybody else. I'm the one drinking mm-hmm. with y'all at 3 p.m. taking shots mm-hmm. of whatever weird <laughs> shit they had in the cabinet because we're all on tight deadlines. And like this, the work <laughs> culture is probably what's breeding this like <laughs> habitual drug use in the first place. So I'm just like, people need to understand that the work culture in tech is like, it's abysmal. I, I like I do not want to do it anymore. I'd rather like, you know, contract freelance. It's a struggle to do that, but I've had to do it off and on in my career anyway, because there's a lot of people who just don't believe in you. Another reason why I refuse to do it at this point is I could sit here spending months submitting applications, going on all these interviews, multiple interviews. They have you know, they have all these like intense interviews for like programmers where like they send you home, you got to build an app in your free time and then resubmit it with the next what? part of the application. They or they have you come in and like work on part of their software for free as part of the in- interview. Or you got to sit there and like do a screen share while you program for one hour straight while they like criticize how you do everything to like expect you to crank something out an hour. I'm like, I have one hour. One time I had Are to. Are you serious? Oh yeah, I, I'm like fuck this, and after all that work, jumping through hoops, and I still don't get a job. Like y'all wasted all this time. That would have been a, that would have been like two thousand dollars worth of work I just I did just for interviews. Yes. For people to still like feel like it's not enough. And also, what is the name of your nonprofit? Oh, New York Dance Safe. Okay, tell me about it. Go in depth. Tell me about it. So DanceSafe is a national nonprofit that d- deals with like harm reduction, like drug use and harm reduction mm-hmm. and more like social and nightlife se- uh, settings. So every, it's kind of like, um, uh, I don't honestly know an example, but like basically <laughs> it's kind of like a franchise, you know, with franchises, it's like, oh, yes. you can own a, own a BP somewhere else, but you like 
pay them for licensing or whatever, but now mm-hmm. you're a VP. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like that sort of, but like the nonprofit version where it's like dance safe exists, but if you want a chapter in your area, you got to basically start it. And I was like, for financial reasons, I incorporated it as a nonprofit because if people wanted to give large sum donations or something, I would have to do all, jump through all these hoops to get that money actually into our bank account. Yeah. You know, and there's a lot of things you can't do without your own EIN and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. I just went ahead and incorporated it. And like, honestly, like it was just some BS. Like, <laughs> you know, I just made, I just put my friends as the board of directors, and it was like, whatever. Like, we don't have to make really big decisions. No one's gonna be paid anyway, so it's not, I wasn't that worried about it. But I was like, I was like, y'all just gotta sign this paper, and like, you get, you get to say you're now a board of director or something, like on a yeah. resume, even though you don't do anything. But like, yeah. <laughs> It's registered as a nonprofit, so technically you could go on Amazon and like do the smiles thing and like it, you know, donates to the organization. Oh, uh, we give out a lot of stuff for free, you know, yes. like none of none of the money pays anybody. Um, maybe one day <laughs> it would, but most of it's just to like have these resources to print like informational stuff or to like accumulate things like condoms or drug checking kits. You know, we show people mm. how to like test their substances. We get on free earplugs so people don't destroy the hearing, yes. you know, stuff like that that people are doing in nightlife or they're using drugs or engaging in sexual activity or listening to music and stuff like that. We just have like safety materials and information for them to make like better decisions or like just more informed decisions about whatever they're getting into. And I, I started yeah. that because I was a person who would have benefited from all those services if it hadn't existed when I was doing all that shit. Like I got, it's like I got tinnitus. I've got like <laughs> don't even get me started on tinnitus. Hearing loss, hyperacusis, like mm-hmm. you know, probably mm-hmm. some brain damage, some liver damage, oh, just, the, just the usual light <laughs> stuff, you know. Yeah, it would have been great. It would have been great to have all that information <laughs> when I was younger, thinking I was invincible. You're amazing. And that's why that like not even an exaggeration. That's exactly why I wanted to interview you for this is because you're the angel. Like your work is what first introduced me to harm reduction. And while I've always believed in it, I didn't know it was an actual study. I didn't know it was a topic. I didn't know that it was something that people were putting into practice. And when I saw what you were doing, drugs are something that like has consistently run in my family. Like my parents met during a drug deal. Like it's like it, it, there's a lot of cycles of drugs in my family and the community I grew up around. And so for me, I look at you and I literally see the person who's doing the work that I'm like, a person like you would have been amazing for my community. Like, you know what, what I mean growing up, like Camden, New Jersey, highest murder rate per capita in the country when I was growing up. And like, I think about the services that you provide and that's also adds to the reason why I'm so adamant about them is because I'm like, these are the things that I know that like my community as a child would have needed and my community currently needs. So right. You are, yeah. We have all, we all drink the, yeah, we all drank the anti-drug Kool-Aid at some point, the propaganda, you know, we thought that, oh, one hit and you're hooked or like, you know, crack is whack exactly. and all that stuff. It's like, you know, crack is intense, but it's not that bad. <laughs> we just, you know, you know, I think, you know, one thing I want to mm. leave folks with is basically if you uh, look up Carl Hart, he's, you know, um, neuro neuroscientist, I believe. Like he studies the mm-hmm. effects of drugs on people's brains. He's a black man. 
And, you know, he grew up during the crack era epidemic and everything. And basically a lot of his research was kind of like, well, how do we, how do we solve, you know, in a sense, how do you solve addiction? It's like, well, if you give them the resources to survive and to like ha- be well mentally as well, most people would be, like, most people will be just fine. You know, like drug addiction oh, yeah. in the way, in a sense that where it's chaotic, like chaotic drug use um, mm-hmm. would be like a lot less, a lot less common. Um, he has a really good TED talk on YouTube called Stop Up. And how do you spell his name? Carl Hart, C-A-R-L-H-A-R-T. Okay, word. And what is your social media? My social media, well, my Instagram currently, that's that's really all I've been focusing on. So my, my Instagram is the, as in the article, the, T-H-E, rebel, like in... I don't know, the rebels from like Star Wars or whatever, <laughs> R-E-B-L, <laughs> uh, educationist. <laughs> so that's like education, but with ist at the end of it. I, I used yeah. to, I used to have it as educator, but then I Googled that educationist is technically better. <laughs> like an educationist is someone who's basically like, you're not just teaching, you are teaching how you teach. And you're always learning. Ooh. You're a person who's like more invested in, you know, the oh, whole the whole like uh, branch of education or, or just the whole. Um, I don't even consider just oh, like wow. a. It's not like a career thing, but you know, the you're in the career of learning and adapting, right? And and applying the learning that you're doing. It's like a lifestyle, you know, a lifestyle mm-hmm. aspect. Thank you so much, Mohawk. Literally, I'm so honored to have gotten to speak to you uh have a beautiful rest of your day okay you too junior thank you so much again did i not tell you i had a freaking amazing episode for you i am so excited that you got to hear from mohawk they are truly amazing and when i tell you i am still freaking processing everything that we talked about because for me getting to talk to they're not like years 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 older than me but they are a queer person and a trans person and a black person who got to live through the 90s and being aware of the 90s because i was born in 95 and so it truly was an honor for me to get to sit down and listen about community and how community got to be formed and continued and get to grow into the community that i get to see today and the fact that Mohawk is who Mohawk was for so long, like as that giving, kind, loving person. And yeah, this interview, mind you, we sat down for like, I think an hour and a half. And I have so much recording that I think this is probably going to be a two-parter. So send me messages, send me comments, send me whatever, however, I don't know. I feel so out of the loop for some reason right now, just trying to list off ways to communicate with me. But, um, you know, Instagram, Twitter, comment section, email, anything. Let me know what you think about this episode, how much you love it, how much you love everything I talked about, or what you think I can talk about next. Let me know your opinions because in about two weeks, this whole show is going to get like a whole scrub down a polish, I would say. I'm actually going to be sitting down and adding in some cool new sound effects, adding in some new audio. It's going to be sickening. And 
I just finally am getting the time to truly get to tighten the gears and the bolts and everything on the show because it's been so cathartic to get to do. And since my grandmother passed away um, a few weeks ago, I'm finally getting the chance to actually go down to D.C. and we're going to be having her funeral the day before the inauguration. So that's going to be a whole thing. But I'm actually going to be able to kind of close the chapter and actually get to sit down and focus on what the next chapter is going to be in my emotional life in terms of like, okay, so 2021 will actually kind of feel like it started. It still has kind of felt like 2020 only because I haven't been able to actually close the chapter because I haven't had the funeral and everything. So I will be back, of course, next week, probably with some tips as to how to get through losing a loved one during this time, because I've been having to really check myself and make sure that I'm checking in with myself and as well signing up for therapy I recommend it for everyone there's this website called BetterHelp which has helped me so let me sign off because I could talk to you all forever I love you all so much and we will talk again next week I'm so excited to get to check in with you all again I will be definitely probably offering up some tips about how to process losing a loved one during this time because it has definitely been a process for me. But as well, on top of it, I'm definitely going to have some comments and commentary about seeing family again after having like discovered and begun your transition and everything, because that was a thing that was causing me anxiety is seeing my family again while like actually going to this funeral and being trans and having to deal with them and everything. So you will definitely be getting my thoughts and everything on it. But I love you all so much. And for next week's episode, you can either expect a second part to this Mohawk interview, which I'm very freaking excited about, or you'll get it like in a week or two away. Or you can expect to hear my sit down with the amazing and the incomparable Mother Teresa. I love you all so much. You all are freaking amazing and you all are the light of my life. Thank you so much for listening to all of this again. And I cannot wait to show you some of the things that I have been working on so far. I am just very excited because you all have been a light for me and you all have been something that has truly helped me get through my depression and this quarantine. And when I tell you, you all are like family. So thank you again for being there, for listening, for sharing, for loving. And I will see you next week. Bye.